good? Yeah. Oh, I hear a little ringing. Good morning. Good morning. I'm going to take these off so I can see anything. Um, how were the fireworks yesterday? Everybody did well watching them and stuff? Because this is a time for, we didn't have any fireworks in our town, but every single neighbor around our house was setting up fireworks, so we had fireworks. <laughs> this is a time to celebrate what the Lord has done in this nation. Okay, and we think about picnics and family and the rest of that stuff, and that's all important. But I would like to take a moment to remember what God did here. Okay, over what, 234 years ago, or however that goes. So, take a moment to pray. Lord, we thank you for your hand upon this nation. Right now, it's going through a crisis, an identity crisis, where we don't seem to know who we are anymore. But Lord, I just ask you to shine your light through and through. And I ask you to use this message to open some eyes as to what we have in you so that we may give it out to the rest of the world to remind them of how important each individual is to you. And I thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Now, over the last 30 years or so, I've had several scripture verses that have really affected me in terms of what those verses are saying. Now, it hasn't come all at the same time, and some of them I still, I'm still working through them, and I'm going to give you another one today. But before I start, I want to give you an update on the last time I was here, the verse of scripture I spoke on was, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Now, as you remember, I talked about divine... Um, I just forgot my own word. Anyway, it's a divine task that the Lord gives us even before we're born. And that's in Psalm 139. pastor talks about it all the time. Now, if God has a task for each one of us to do, that means he's got things pretty well planned out and he knows how things should go. Notice the word should. It doesn't always happen that way. Now, I talked about three reasons why it doesn't work that way. Satan, sometimes we say, okay? And I want to highlight the one that says no. I had talked about a book that I had read some 20, maybe more years ago, but I couldn't find it. I couldn't find the title or anything. And as I was preparing and looking for some reference material for this message, I found the book. So the, the missionary was Evie Phillips, and the book title is Remembering Nigeria. And there's a little piece I want to read to you. Now, as you remember, the Phillips were called to a very specific tribe in Nigeria, and that's where they went to minister. But there was a tribe right next to them that was also starting to work through Christianity and what the scripture said, but because there was nobody there to teach them, they were doing some weird things and whatnot. He tried to spend some time with them to help them, but things weren't working. And let me read what the passage says for you. Page 33. 
Now, the Phillips had gone over to this other tribe, and I'll pick it up right here. The next morning, we met with 40 of the leading Calabar pastors. Now, the name of the tribe is the Calabars, okay? That's not the tribe he was sent to, but that's the one next to him. So the next morning, we met with 40 of the leading Calabar pastors. I gave them my decision. Since you brothers refuse to be taught in a Bible school, and that's what he was trying to set up for them was a Bible school to teach their pastors. But they had decided that, no, we like it the way we are now. He said, um, there is nothing I can do for you. Goodbye, and God bless you. What a tragedy. After one day's discussion, I had severed all connections with Calabar. The decision of the pastors there seemed irrevocable. Now remember, his ministry was to the other tribe, not this one. Here's the part that struck me when I read this some 30 years ago, and again when I read it just recently. It could have been so different. Years later, I met a minister and his wife in America whom God had definitely called to Calabar. So at the same time as he received his calling, this individual had also received the calling, and very specifically to this tribe. He didn't know who they were. It was just, I want you to go to Calabar. Okay, who's Calabar? Well, he starts there, and then he tells you. He said, uh, so years later, I met a minister and his wife in America whom God had definitely called to Calabar. He gave them each that name when neither knew that such a place existed. He was a wonderful teacher. Is he still back there? I'm hearing a lot of popping and ringing. I don't know if anybody else does, but I do. Uh, so that was about the time that the great revival began in Calabar. They were willing to go, but let friends dissuade them and never answered God's call. How they wept when they learned the tragic results of their disobedience. So when we say no, there are some ramifications. God's plan doesn't get fulfilled. This got fixed one generation later, just like it did with Israel when they were in the desert. That first group was supposed to go into the promised land, but they kept saying, you brought us out to die in the desert. Well, that's what they spoke, that's what they got. God prepared the next generation to go into the promised land. So when we say no to God's calling, there is a cost to God's plan. It's not that he doesn't know it's gonna happen that way, but that's the plan he had prepared. But he always prepares somebody else later. It eventually does get taken care of, and as this, the scripture says, my word doesn't go out void. We have a part in it, and we can make an effect, so when you look around and you see that things haven't hurt, yeah, this is much better. Um, things, you look at the church, you go, I wonder why this has occurred. Well, the person God prepared for that task said no. Now, they may have specifically heard, like they did, that they needed to go to the Calabar tribe. But if you never get born again, you're never going to hear that. Okay, so that's an update to what I had last week. I thought it was fascinating when I pull out my reference book, and there it is. Now, the passage I would like to discuss this morning is found in 1 Peter 3. 
and it's verses 13 through 16. And who is he that will harm you if you be followers of that which is good? But if you suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are you, and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you for the reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience, that is, when they speak evil of you as evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. Now, before I go any further, I'd like to talk a little bit about the historical context of this letter that Peter wrote. Just a couple of questions here. Who is, speaking, who is Peter speaking to? Who was the Roman leader? And how did Rome view the Christian sect at this time? And I say sect, S-E-C-T. Okay, I'll be there in a minute. So first question is, who was Peter speaking to? Well, Peter was speaking to both the Jewish and Gentile members of the church in what we call today the country of Turkey. Okay, so the folks he was talking to was in the region that we call Turkey today. So this letter was written to them. Now I want to note a couple of things because it was kind of interesting that in the text they were highlighting this. Peter fulfilled the prophetic words spoken over him by Jesus when he was charged to encourage and strengthen the brothers. Okay, and that was in Luke 22, verse 32. And then feed the flock. We all remember in John 21, when Jesus said, do you love me? Feed the flock. That's what he's doing. Okay, so he's fulfilling what the scriptures have been prophesying about him. Second question is, who is the Roman leader? Well, the historians believe that this letter of Peter was written uh, at the time when Nero was the emperor, the Caesar at Rome. And we've all heard the stories of Nero burning Rome so he could do his urban renewal program, and he blamed it on the Christians. Okay, so this was the time frame. And how did Rome view the Christian sect at this time? The Christians at that time feared Rome. Okay, because Rome was viewing the Christians as atheists. And you go, atheists? Why would they? Rome believed in all kinds of gods. As many gods as you could have, that's what they believed in. And the Christians said, no, there's only one. He's not the emperor, because they did emperor worship. He goes, he's not the emperor, he's Jesus Christ. So because they believed in only one God and not all the gods that were being worshipped, they were being viewed as atheists and persecuted for that reason. Okay? Now, initially, they were viewed as a small little group hanging off of Judaism. So it would have been a form of Judaism. But the church grew much bigger than what Judaism was. So now they were viewed much more as a threat, okay? So that's how the Christians were at the time frame when 1 Peter was written. So let me um, look at that portion of scripture again. I'll read it for you. And who is he that will harm you if you be followers of that which is good? So he's telling Christians, if you're doing good, why would they harm you for that? Okay, you're doing exactly what God wants you to do. Romans chapter 12, if you want to look at it a little deeper. 
But if you suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are you, and be not afraid of their terror. Neither be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you for the reason of the hope that is in you, with meekness and fear, having a good conscience. That is, when they speak evil of you as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. So you can start to see what Peter is talking to them as he's encouraging them in a time frame that's dark. Sound like today? With all the stuff that's going on? It's a similar environment. Things are looking dark, but the Lord is telling us, be encouraged. Be encouraged. First thing I noticed is that the dark times, like I just mentioned, looks very similar to ours. Okay? Uh, they were concerned for their lives. So were we. We're wearing around masks. I find it kind of comical because whenever a person wore masks, it's because they were going to go rob a bank before. Now you walk around and everybody's wearing a mask. Things are strange. Things are strange. Peter's telling us to get into a deeper relationship with God. Okay? And that's where your courage comes from. The second thing I notice is he's encouraging the saints to be happy. Okay? Other verses will say it this way. I wrote happy, but they will say have that joy that wells up from inside of you to the rest of the world. Okay? So that when they look at you and they see that joy, they'll wonder, I wonder what they're up to. So they'll come over and ask you. Okay? Because it's that joy that should be welling up out of us regardless of what's going on in the world because our hope is hung on Jesus Christ and God Almighty. Third thing I notice is Peter's encouraging them to continue to do good deeds. Don't shy away into the woodwork, okay, and blend in with the rest of the folks, but continue to do the good that the Lord has given you to do. That's your divine task that you've received from before you were even born. So continue doing the work that he's given you. That's what he's encouraging them to do. Now, that's an interesting message, but the part of that text that bothered me for years is this piece. It's in verse 15. It says, be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you for the reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience. Be ready always to give an answer. Okay, some translations say be ready in season and out of season to give an answer. Be ready to give an answer, okay, of the hope that's in within you. Well, let's take a look at that passage a little closer. To be ready to give an answer means that you've studied the scriptures, you understand the topic, and you're ready to take the test. You're in school. Doesn't matter what school, you know, college, high school, it doesn't matter. But you study the material, the teacher's about to give you the test, you're ready to take it. 
you've done the work that was necessary to pass the material and move on. In the military, do the same thing. In the military, you're constantly going through drills of certain things that occur. Isn't that correct? So that when the attack comes or whatnot, you don't have to think about it and go, oh, I think that's on page 47. No, you know exactly what to do. You've drilled, you're ready. You can go. Scripture's telling you the same thing. Be ready. Be ready. Know your material. Know what it is that you're about. Okay? To every man that asks you, that's the next phrase in that same verse of Scripture. It doesn't matter who's asking you. Your boss, your neighbor, your family member, somebody you don't know. It doesn't matter because you're not ashamed of the answer you're going to give them. It's part of you. Okay? So you don't have to go, oh, I can't talk to them. That's the president. It doesn't matter. If they ask you, you're ready to talk to them. Okay? So to every man, be ready. Um, for the reason that, for the reason of the hope that is in you, now, this is the part that's given me the most trouble. So I'll come back to that a little bit later. I'll finish the rest of the phrases here, and then I'll get back to that one later. With meekness and fear, your attitude as you're giving your answer matters a lot. It's either going to set the stage for people to receive what you're giving them, but if you've got a bad attitude or a bad disposition or whatnot, they're not going to receive it. They might be asking you, but they're not going to receive it. Okay, so the scripture says, with meekness. Okay? With meekness and fear. And that's not the fear of man we're talking about, but the fear of you're not going to represent God well. Okay? That you're going to do your best when you're answering for him. Because you're his messenger. Humble. Okay? With a humble heart. Having a good conscience. That means between, before man and God, your heart is right. Okay? You don't have a heart that says, you know, I yelled at the dog or kicked him or whatever. No. Your heart is right before man and God. Now, the part that gave me the most difficult. I'll spend a few minutes on that. For the reason of the hope that is in you. For the reason of the hope that is in you. Now over the last 20, 30 years, I've asked that question of a lot of Christians. And 97% of the time, that's my number. I like ivory soaps, I like that number. Most of the time, the answer I hear is incorrect. Okay. Actually, I asked this morning, and I got one of these same answers. One of the answers I get is, I don't know. Well, what's the reason for the hope that you have in your heart? I don't know. Well, that might be okay for a person that just received the Lord 10 minutes ago. Okay, And for that person, I would suggest that they really get involved in a a Bible study, a small group, uh, somebody to be mentored, to be involved, read the scriptures, okay, because they need to be prepared. 
one of the other answers I hear is, so I don't have to go to hell. Well, that's a true statement, but you know, there's a lot more than just not going to hell. I would think about, so where are you going? Well, I'm just going to go to the grave and going to be part of the, the sleep for the rest of my life, and I'll never, you know, uh, if you're an atheist, that's what you probably believe. Actually, we know because one of them talked about it and said it on the videos that we do on Tuesday. Okay, but that's not, it's missing the point. One of the answers I get is, so I can go to heaven. Going to heaven like going to Boston? Almost. <laughs> well, if you're going to that little Italian bakery that I'm knowing about, maybe for a few minutes. Okay, but again, that's close, but that's really not it either. There you go. So I can have eternal life. That's much closer. That's John 3.16 and a lot of the other verses Okay, but then I'll ask you, what's eternal life? Eternal life is meaning I'm going to live forever? That's another answer that's close, but it's, again, misses the mark. It's not quite there. Yes, we, our spirit will. How about this one? So I can live on streets of gold, or so I can live in my mansion in heaven that Jesus prepared for me. Okay? Well, okay, that's true as well, but that misses the mark. What is it about? What's the reason? What is it that I'm anchoring myself to that I can give for a reason to someone else that would be compelling? Well, I took a look at the uh, Strong's Concordance at the Greek and uh, number 1680 is, I'm not sure how to pronounce this, but the Greek word for hope is elpis, E-L-P-I-S. And it says to anticipate usually with pleasure. Okay. Well, other than the first answer, I don't know. Yeah, I can see where you might look for something in the future that's going to entice you with pleasure, but it still misses the mark. That didn't help me whatsoever. It left me with, you know, wanting to know much more. Well, I did some digging. Here's what I found. The issue with the passage is giving an answer for the hope that is in my life is like love in English there's more than one kind of hope. Okay, there's more than one kind of hope. So which hope are we talking about? Well, the digging I did came up with these definitions. Now the first two I'm going to give you are deficient hope. And the first one is called wishful hope. And it goes along the line of, well, I hope my baseball team wins. Okay, I hope my baseball team wins or whatever it is. But the issue with that hope is there's an element of doubt that's associated with it. There's a little element of fear they're not going to win. The other team is pretty good. Well, that's a deficient hope. The next one is willful hope. I have great plans and I hope God blesses them. 
Well, that one is has an element of self-will attached to it. Okay, a piece that'll go with it is, if I hope hard enough, it'll come to pass. Well, that's deficient to get. Okay, so when we talk about hope, we get confused with some of these other things, and that's why it's not very clear. Biblical hope, LPIS, if you will, is setting your eyes on a future goal, a future place, a future position, okay? So that when they talk about, well, I hope to be in heaven, that's much closer than the other two types of hope, but it's still wanting. So let me give you the answers for what the real biblical hope that we have, okay, and what the scripture says. In 1 John chapter 3, verses 2 and 3, and I'm going to read you, uh, this one out of the NIV, it says, Dear friends, now we are children of God. Right away we've got a difference here. It's not a place as we're children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when he appears, Jesus appears, we will be like him. We will be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man who has this hope in him purifies himself even as he is pure. Okay, so the hope that is within us is we're going to see Jesus and we're going to be like him. Let me read some more. There's some more verses. In uh, John chapter 17... Okay, this is Jesus is speaking to the 12, well, 11 at this point, one of them is gone. But he's speaking just before he leaves the Last Supper to go to the Garden of Gethsemane. And it says, after Jesus said this, he looked towards heaven and prayed, Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life. He's going to even tell us what it is. Okay? Eternal life is that they may know you and the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So eternal life is knowing God the Father, knowing Jesus, and being in their presence. And I skipped the verse, so I'll give you that one as well. Here's another in the same vein of scriptures. In uh, John 14, verses 1 and 3, it says, Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God and believe in me. There are many rooms in my Father's house, and if not, I would have told you so. For I go to prepare a place for you. Most people are familiar with this one, but they stop there. Go a little further. It says, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I am coming again and will receive you to myself that where I am you also will be. Okay? So the key passage here is yeah, he's preparing a place and all of that and that's wonderful. But he's coming so that we will be with him. So that we will be with him. So that's what the hope is that's in our hearts. Um, that's wonderful news. 
okay, if you're born again. But if you're not, that's not really good news. Last week while I was driving home to, last week, the week before, a couple of weeks ago anyway, when I was driving home, I like picking up these little things at the grocery store. Okay, it's got uh, testimonies of each individual that they give their story and whatnot. So I just happened to grab this one and I started looking at it and this hit me in the face. And I just lost my place. This thing just hit me in the face. It's called standing on the fence. I was standing on a fence and there was an incredibly large group of people assembled around it. On one side of the group stood a man, Jesus. On the other side of the group stood another man, Satan. Separating them running through the group was the fence I was standing on. Both Jesus and Satan began calling to the people in the group and one by one, each having made up his or her mind, each went to either Jesus or Satan. This kept going on and eventually Jesus had gathered around him a group of people from the larger crowds, as did Satan. But I joined neither group. I stood there on the fence. Then Jesus and his people left and disappeared. So too did Satan and his people. And I was left alone standing on the fence. As I stood there, Satan came back. He appeared to be looking for something that he'd lost. I said, have you lost something? Satan looked straight at me and replied, no, there you are. Come with me. But I said, I stood on the fence. I choose neither you nor him. That's okay, said Satan. I own the fence. You belong to me. Now over the years I've heard not choosing is a choice. So if you're not choosing Jesus, you've already made your choice. The scripture says, if you have not chosen Jesus, then you do not have this hope that's within you that I was just talking about, being with Jesus in eternity. You don't have that. The scripture says very clearly in, Rome, in Revelations 20, verse 15, if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. That's Revelation 20, verse 15. Jesus paid the price for all of our sins, past, present, and future. Now, most of the time we think in terms of we will go to hell because of our sins. No, that's not the reason. Those have already been paid for. It's done and it's hung on the cross, and it's a finished work. So you don't go to hell for your sins. But you do go to hell for not choosing Jesus who paid for the price. That's where the choice is. Okay? So it's imperative that you look at your life and think about, have I chosen him? 
or if I decided to go my own way, or if I decided to go on the dark side. Those are choices we make. You choose Jesus or Satan, or if you don't choose, that's a choice. Um, I am reminded of a song by Bob Dylan. It says, you got to serve someone. Okay? I don't know if anybody remembers that one, but that struck me very hard when he sang that song, is you got to choose someone. You're either going to choose God or you're going to choose the nemesis. But you got to choose. And if you don't choose and you're standing on the fence, you've chosen. Okay. Um, I'm going to close here and let you come up, but I want to pray for those that are thinking about where their relationship is. If you haven't accepted God and you think that maybe now is the time that you really want to, come and see us, okay? Any one of us here, and we'll be happy to help you through this and explain to you anything that you might have for a question. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day, and I thank you that your word does not go out void. Those that have their eyes blinded to the need for you, I ask you to remove that blinder so that they may see you and come to a point where they know they have to make a choice. So I ask you to help them to see, remove that blinder, and give them the strength and the courage to move forward and choose you. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Sean, all yours.